Welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich, a podcast that celebrates creativity, artistry, and humanity. Well, before I introduce today's wonderful guest, I have some news. I have published a new book. It's a memoir. It's called On Air, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio. And in it, there are certainly lots of radio stories about formats and program directors, about losing jobs and getting jobs, celebrities I've met, the full gamut, plus a chance to share my personal story. My love for performing, losing my first wife of 30-plus years to cancer, finding love again with an amazing woman named Roberta, a little dance I did myself with the Grim Reaper, and my encounters with depression. It's all there, and I'm happy to say all proceeds and royalties are being donated to Children's Hospital in Boston. It's available at Amazon.com, and for much more information, visit my updated website, jordanrich.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-R-I-C-H.com. On to today's guest, one of the most celebrated photographers of rock musicians on planet Earth. Ron Pownell has shot them all from, as he says, ABBA to Zappa, A to Z. There's Springsteen, The Stones, Pink Floyd. The list is endless. His work is currently on display on the giant Box Center marquee in downtown Boston, formerly the Wang Center. It's also at BoxCenter.org, B-O-C-H, BoxCenter.org. And if you want a treat, check out Ron's site, which I love, www.rockrollphoto.com. A body of amazing work spanning multiple decades. Let's welcome Ron Pownell with Camera in Hand to join us now on Mike. First off, I want to tell you that some of my favorite interviews over the years have been with photographers. I talk about photography, I talk about visual art on the radio with you guys, and I love it. So thank you for joining me, first of all, Ron. I really appreciate that. My pleasure, Jordan. I am just blown away by the the volume of work and volume of stuff that you've done over the years. It's incredible. Talk about the first music gig you had and how that happened. We'd love to know the, the origin story. Well, I looked at I shot a few bands in college, uh, John Mayall, the Association, the Turtles, the, you know, bands like that who would play on a college campus. I got a job uh, in college, a summer job with the Chicago Tribune. I volunteered to shoot all the music, and they assigned me the music gigs. Um, the first five were Janis Joplin, uh, Jefferson Airplane, mm. Jimi Hendrix, The Righteous Brothers, and Cream. Not a bad way to kick off your career. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what I was doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, I, I've got to ask you, before we get into some of the specific uh, bands and, and some of the experiences, to shoot a, a live concert, and a lot of these are done in, in action sequence, did it take a special skill set? Did it challenge you as a photographer? Does it challenge any photographer to do that as opposed to you know portrait work or anything like that? Well, it's sort of the difference between, uh, like when you're doing a, doing a portrait session, you're uh, creating a moment in time. You're setting it up, you're doing the lights. With shooting live concerts, you're capturing a moment. So it's a little bit different way to think about it. So you have to be, pre- be prepared with the right film, the right camera, the right lens, all of that. And uh, it involves a lot of patience. Um, I got so... I mean, that that's what I did when I uh, started, when I left the Tribune, I moved to Boston and uh, linked up with Aerosmith early on and uh, the band Boston and Giles and the Cars, all the usual suspects around town here. Um, but I got, so I didn't use a light meter. You couldn't use a light meter because the stage lighting would trick the camera. Mm. So just over time, you 
got experience. I got experience to know how to set the camera. Um, and it was just, I did it a lot. I mean, I started out shooting clubs three or four nights a week when it was free to get in or a buck or something. Mm. Heck, even, even the, the garden for the stones was six bucks. Oh, man. What does it mean when you say you linked up with these bands? Were you working for them or the venues? How did that play out? Um, well, uh, let's see, with Aerosmith, I shot them in 73 at Boston College at Robert's Gym. It was a sock hop. Kids had to kick their shoes off because it was on the gym floor. Hmm. Um, but I was there to actually shoot the opening act, Duke and the Drivers, local band. Oh, I yes. remember them. Sure. Um, uh, they were buddies of mine, and, and they were opening for Aerosmith. I shot at the Drivers, and then I stuck around and shot Aerosmith, and then I took the contact sheets over to their manager's office, who was in Waltham, and he said, these aren't bad. Hey, we're playing in uh, Providence in two weeks. Why don't you come down and shoot, shoot there? So I did, and I hit it up with the guys. Uh, we were neighbors. Joe lived around the corner. And um, so I just started shooting them locally, and then I ended up traveling all over the, uh, all over the country with them for about 25 years. Oh, wow. And when you're not with, with a group like that as a regular photographer on staff, so to speak, you're doing so many other gigs. Uh, you, you call it ABBA to Zappa uh, on your website, rockrollphoto.com. Did your reputation just grow naturally out of the Aerosmith experience? Well, the Aerosmith was one, and their manager was in New York, and he also had ACDC and Ted Nugent. I did five album covers for Ted Nugent. Mm. We became friends. We just could never talk politics. <laughs> I think I know why. <laughs> yeah, so we just we just agreed. You know, he said, "Hey, Ron, you're from the city. I'm from the country. We'll probably never uh, agree on much politically." So, I mean, I would go to his house in the summer, up in Michigan, and fish and do archery stuff, do Ted stuff. I didn't shoot the gun. We shoot target practice with the guns. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we just kept it a, like a business relationship. And he was great to shoot because it wasn't like the Ted Nugent band. It was just Ted. And he loved to be photographed. So it was uh, it was a good good gig for me. Anyway, so through the, 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 that association, I would sell uh, images to Cream Magazine, Circus Magazine, Hit Parader. I'm looking on the mm-hmm. wall here. Mm-hmm. Roxy, Grooves all these, you know, rock and roll magazines. And that led to me as being the New England guy for uh, Rolling Stone. So it's just like one thing would lead to another, you know, and if a band was on the road, I would um, tell a lot to magazines. And, you know, it just grew. I was reliable and I was patient. And uh, um, so then in 76, Rolling Stone uh, called me up and said, hey, can you get right down to, to uh, Providence? This new band called Boston is <laughs> playing. They were, it was a three-band uh, three uh, lineup. Uh, Fog Hat was headlining, and, and James Gang, and then Boston. So I jumped in the car, got one of those nine-foot roll-ups, and had it sticking out the window, and drove down. And When you're shooting for Rolling Stone, the doors open. I would imagine. You know, yeah. it's like, wow, it's for stone. So uh, I went in and we did a photo session. This is in 76. I still licensed that image, those images from in the dressing room 
Um, anyway, so we hit it off. They were great guys. They're, it was just a great band. They were fun. They weren't. It was like fun for them. You know? mm. Wow, we got a hit record. We got more than a feeling. Mm. So it's just a little anecdote to that. That was in that was in September of '76, possibly October of '76, actually. Uh, and they the tour came looped back on the East Coast in January, and by that time, more than a feeling was biggest hit in the country, and Boston was headlining. Foghat was second, and James Gang was third. <laughs> Not surprised. That's how the music biz goes. When you look back, and you, you're looking at your wall as you speak to me, when you look back at some of these early days of Springsteen and all the others, my question is always, do you, when you're doing it, when you're shooting it, have any inkling that this is going to be iconic, not just the photograph, but the group itself or the act itself? Well, I don't know about the acts because, well, it was fun. I was fortunate to, uh, you know, link up with some bands that were starting out, as I was starting out. We we're all kind of mm-hmm. starting out together, and we all sort of grew together. Now, mind you, I, I mentioned, you know, like all the local biggies, Giles and the Cars, and you know, Boston and Aerosmith, um, but for every one of those, there were probably 10 local bands I shot that never made it out of the basement, so... You don't necessarily know. As far as a shot that you, you know, you um, you really don't necessarily know the shot, especially like the, a key picture is to get a live group shot. It's the hardest one because you have to have equal lighting on four or five guys. They all have to be looking good. It's, so that's one where you'll see mm. Back in the film days, you didn't hold down the button. You had to time it. Like in digital, it's it's free, you know. Right. Back in my day, it was it was you had to pay for that film. So you're um, you don't know until you get those slides or negatives back, um, and then you're there's nothing like the excitement. I would shoot Kodachrome 64, fabulous film, and I get these little yellow boxes mm. back from Kodak. They develop it, and I sit in my light box. The thrill of getting a shot that oh perfect focus, perfect uh, lighting, the guy's looking great. That's, I still get excited. I don't know anything about photography, but I remember those great days when you had to literally wait for the film to come back, and it was thrilling, it was exciting. And uh, in your case, you know, you, you had some glamour shots that were going to go right to the top, I'm sure, and along with some that weren't. So out of step with what's going on today. <laughs> well, it's just very different. I mean, back then it was all manual focus. Right. Like I said, I didn't use a meter. At the very beginning, I used a meter, but like I said, the lights would trick the camera so much. You're better off just to know, you know, at the garden, if they have decent bright lights, uh, Kodachrome 64, um, 250th of a second at uh, F2. You know, you just, you know, and if the lights go down, you, you know, change your lens. So it was, uh, that, that was, um, that was a key to be able to deal with your, uh, deal with your gear. Well, it's instinctive too, and you're an artist, yeah, I and think you so. know. And, and and you know, and then once again, you learn. You're better off times if somebody's playing guitar to be stage right. If you're shooting into the neck of the guitar, if they're if they're a lefty, uh, um, and you know, okay, I need a vertical for a uh, magazine cover. But if you're if if you shoot from the other side, it's a horizontal shot. So if you're not shooting for cover, it can be a nicer angle. So you learn that sort of, uh, and you learn, to, one, you should learn if the lights are really low, don't 
oyster film. Ah. Even though it's a poignant moment in a song, but if it's so moody, you, it's all a bunch of uh, blur because you have to shoot so slow mm. of a shutter speed, and you just learn to you know be patient. It'll get bright again. Here's a question for you, um, and I'm sure you have anecdotes up the yin-yang, and you could probably write four books about your experiences, but over the course of time, there had to be artists who would comment to you directly or either praise or maybe criticize a shot that you took. Uh, I'm guessing. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's how that worked. With, like with Aerosmith in Boston and just off the top of my head, and with other bands too, I would present them with black and white contact sheets or slide pages, and um, I would let them mark them. So I have I have a bunch of slides that say ST with an X, or ST-OK, uh-huh. Steve Tyler, looking through and marking the ones he liked or didn't like. Um, some people were more picky than others. Um, same with Boston. They, in fact, I was looking through some contacts yesterday, I think, and Tom had put X's on a bunch, and it's like, you know, if there was a sequence of eight or ten when he was doing something particular, he would mark out seven or eight, but there are two, you know, he had a good eye, so the best two would surface. And I don't need to have ten. If I have two good ones, that's mm. fine. So I looked at it, I was working on the same team with all these bands. I yeah. want them to be happy. There'll be plenty of images, and I, I, did, I didn't take it personally if they didn't like a particular shot. The, the um, as far as the praise, working with these bands for decades, I guess that's the praise. You know, we they liked my work and we worked well together, and so we had these long-term right. relationships. So, I was anti-paparazzi too. Yeah, ah. I, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Totally I, anti-paparazzi. You, you must have seen uh, a lots of that going on while you were taking the the real shots. You must have seen a lot of those guys on the well, uh, edge got, of the parapet. I've got a, I have a safe that's double locked with the negatives that could never see the light of day. Right. <laughs> that's important. One of the things you just said sparked this comment, and that is these bands that you're talking about, certainly Aerosmith, the Rolling Stones, Springsteen, all of these guys have lasted for so long because they are the best at what they do. And uh, stroking the guest a little bit, but I think you rate right up there as the best in what you do because they've stuck with you. And it, it really shows over the course of decades. Well, it just dawned on me, you're asking, you know, if they like it or not. In 70 and 81, the Stones played Sir Morgan's Cove in Worcester, little 300-seat dive dive bar for sure, um, and they hadn't played in three and a half years, and it was a warm-up gig before they played four days later at RFK Stadium in Philly. I think it's 100,000 people or 80,000 or something. And they had been practicing out in Worcester at uh, Longview Farm, mm for a month. So uh, I knew their publicist, and so he let me be the only photographer in this little club. Uh, but he said, I want to see the, you know, let me see the contact sheets, <clears throat> and I'll, you know, mark out ones I don't like. So I went home after the gig, um, made the contact sheets at like four in the morning, put them on a bus back to Worcester, where they were staying. A buddy of mine picked it up, drove the contact sheets to the hotel where the publicist was, and he called me back and says, you know, these are all fine. Just pick the ones you like. Uh-huh. And I later found out the Stones don't really care. There's so many pictures of them out there. They, you know, it's they're happy. <laughs> and, of course, I would only pick the ones that I liked. I would, sure. you know, if uh, yeah. 
Mickhead spittle come running down his, you know, I wouldn't put that shot out. You know, there's plenty of other ones. So, well, you had a you had a respect and a and an admiration for your subject. So this is your art. So I, I think that makes sense. I've got to ask you, Ron, because your list of accomplishments is incredible. Please, folks, go to rockrollphoto.com. But there are some, shall we say, uh, outliers here that are not necessarily rock bands. One of them, uh, I'll ask you about a couple of them. John Belushi, what was the circumstance in which you shot him? That was, um, actually, it was backstage, not backstage, it was a, a party in New York City after Queen and the opening act was Thin Lizzy played at hmm. Madison Square Garden. And so there was an after party and Eric Idle was there and Belushi. And Belushi was hilarious. I, you know, I think I said, you mind if I take your picture? He was standing with Eric Idle. So then I took, I don't know, a dozen shots and he like did a different pose for each one, <laughs> like shooting a pool cue, swinging a golf club, just all this he was the maniac. It was uh, it was just one of those backstage moments. That's a great opportunity, particularly where you're dealing with somebody who's so crazy on TV and is a character guy. He's doing shtick for you, and you're just rolling. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. It's interesting that um, a lot of times with a rock and roll band, uh, they'll have a hard time with their image. Like, what do they... Maybe the younger ones more so than an established band. Did even... With established bands, they might have a hard time, like knowing what to wear or how to pose, this and that. So you're 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 coaching them. I did a gig um, with an actress where uh, it was at Liza Minnelli, oh. and we were given ten minutes to shoot. She and Joel Gray. It was a tour they were doing supporting Cabaret, the movie, and um, I suspect I had six cameras lined up because there was no time to change film. So I borrowed cameras from some friends. Uh, it was a backstage thing with a, I set up a big backdrop with studio lights and everything. And um, 80% of the shoot was good because they weren't rock and roll musicians who care about how they sound. She cared how she looked and knew how to do it. It was the most amazing a high-yield photo session I ever did. She was an actress and also grew up in the Hollywood system with her mom and all that, so that right, makes right, perfect right. sense, yeah. Another one before I ask you about Back to Music, and that's Richard Pryor. Did you do the concert stuff with Pryor or more? I did into- a concert. It was uh, when I very first started. It was one of the first gigs I shot. Um, he was playing the, oh gosh, uh, the Playboy Club in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. <laughs> It was the first resort, Playboy Resort. I was working for the trip, Chicago Tribune. Leslie Core was the opening act. Mm. And um, so I shot the show and shot him afterwards uh, with his girlfriend. And that's prior, no pun intended, to Richard doing his his thing, really breaking out, right? Because I think he was still, was he still the rather buttoned-down guy at that point doing Cosby stuff material, style material? I, I, you know, I can't remember the show, but it was in 69, I believe, yeah. 1969. So I think it was starting to break out from the button down. What a history you, you have chronicled through your work. Um, Elvis, uh, I noticed his name pops up on the website. <laughs> Everybody wants to know about Elvis. What's the connection, your connection to him? I, I was shot him for a magazine. I frankly can't remember which one now, but... 
one of the people I worked for. I shot him twice, once in Long Island and Nassau County Coliseum and once in Providence. A sad thing is um, three of my probably six rolls of film were ruined at a lab. Oh. They had a dip and dunk processor and they, the film fell off and developed for two hours instead of eight minutes oh. and it was ruined. It's the only time that's ever really happened to me. But I will say this, they were the two loudest concerts I'd ever heard. It was all screaming fans, mostly oh. women, of course. <laughs> From the audience, I get but it. But my ears were ringing uh, after those concerts. I'm surprised you can hear me right now because of all the music you were involved in. Did you wear plugs as, along the way just to kind of I survive? I wish I had. <laughs> and I tended to, to shoot stage left, so I'm down about 10% of my hearing in my ring. An occupational hazard for anybody who does concert work uh, or even radio work as you, you're constantly being barraged, your eardrums. Ron, is there is there a particular artist that you didn't get to shoot that you might have wanted to over the years? Looking back, I mean, you've got a, an amazing array, but who, who, who did you miss? One is Prince. Hmm. Somehow we just never overlapped. I don't know why, but it didn't happen. And you too. I never shot you too. Hmm. So I regret both of those misses. What about the Beatles? I know you did Beatlemania stuff, but did you ever run into the Beatles on any platform in any way? No, well, separately. I shot. The, I didn't shoot John, but I shot George um, on, when he did a tour in 74, I think, with Billy Preston. Oh, um, yeah. And I shot Ringo a bunch of times with the All-Star Band, and I shot Paul a couple times. Oh, it is a great story. I love McCartney. It was in 76. It was the first. Uh, he's playing at the Garden, Boston Garden, in 76. And it was it was very exciting because he hadn't played here maybe in seven or eight years. So it was an electric feeling. And um, so I was, I drove down to the Garden in the afternoon. I figured they'd have a sound check. I had credentials to shoot the show in the evening. But I drove in the old Garden. You could drive up a ramp into the inside and I just drove in and parked next to the their trucks and I always figured I'm going to get tossed out of here so I, I took my camera and I went up to the balcony and I shot some and they were doing the sound check and so I shot shots from the back of the balcony and then I said oh, let me keep going I snuck down to the floor and took some from the floor and then I started walking closer hmm. I ended up walking right up to the stage and had my elbow on the stage while they were doing sound check. And I figured one of their security guys was gonna grab me and throw me out. Never did. Paul mugged to the camera. Yeah. And yeah. I shot him and, and um, his wife, Linda. Um, and then he said, I'll see you tonight. Oh, wow. That is so, I mean, what? What so that? cool. Great guy, and then he was. The show was off the charts. It was electric. People were like, "God, it's McCartney." It was a great show. Old timers, as you and I are, wax poetically about the '60s and '70s. But what was cool about that era was you could walk into a spot and literally get through. There wasn't the kind of security and digital scanning and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not suggesting people should have done that, but occasionally it made life more interesting, didn't it? Well, it made it. You know what it was like. Like it was sort of the beginning of rock and roll, you know, big concerts, or even small concerts like the music hall. I did fifty or sixty shows. Mm. Bands would welcome you; they wanted press, 
So I'd go in, full camera bag, maybe try and sneak a beer or two in one of my lens cases. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there was no security like, yeah. like, like nowadays. And um, so you were welcomed. Um, I remember I got a call to shoot uh, Bob Seeger for an album cover. And he was out at the Centrum. And I got a call from the road manager. He said, why don't you come out around three? I'd like you to meet the band. You know, shoot soundcheck if you wanted. Hang around for the crew meal. Mm. Shoot the show. And then we're having a party after. Wow. Like, welcome to the club. Join the family. And it was, uh, it's not like that today. It's like you... You're shooting for a magazine, you get to shoot for two or three songs, and then they have you leave the building. Or do you get restricted, which is, say, the early 90s. I call it the sort of the corporatization. You know, that's when managers got, well, you can only shoot two songs or three songs, and, oh, by the way, I want to own three of those pictures. It, it mm. The fun left. I have a photograph of, uh, I shot Springsteen starting in 74, and, uh, his office, he was great, the management was great, I'd always have great tickets and passes. And then I stopped shooting for him for a little bit, and then in '02 I shot at the Garden, and I, my instructions were to show up at, uh, whatever, 8 o'clock show, 7.30. I was in a room with 11 other photographers. You know, 7.57, they walked us all out to a riser, a, a uh, probably a 10-foot by 10-foot riser, 18 inches high, next to the soundboard, so two-thirds of the way back. So you had a dozen photographers on there for two songs, all getting the exact same shot. After two songs, uh, security escorted us mm. out of the garden. So mm. we all had the same shot. There was no <laughs> there was no fun in it. They And it, even in the old days, if, if there was a limit on shooting, they'd let you sit and watch the show. They don't let you do that anymore. <laughs> no, no. I, anymore. I, I have to draw my, my own experience in music. I'm not a musician, but I love music. And I've been friends over the years with many jazz artists. For some reason, I well, jazz is my favorite. And the one thing, and I think this is common among most musicians, most, particularly those who perform, there's a camaraderie there, but there's also a a sense of uh, if they're having fun, they want others to have fun with them. I've not noticed too many people who wouldn't lend a hand or or invite somebody in for a cup of coffee or a beer before or after a show. That sense of, uh, hey, we're just having fun up here and we're not at some unapproachable place. You know, I think with the bands, I'm not sure if that has changed. I think the scenario around the band, like security is tougher they try and isolate the band more than they did in the old days. Definitely. Mm. But I'm not sure that band members, they're there to have fun. And, you know, bands go up and down. You know, they have times when things are, you know, they're in a good spot, and sometimes they'll be stressed within the band, and then they'll work it out. And I think that you're, if they, if, you know, it's like if they had a great show, it's like a basketball team. You have good nights and bad nights. If they have a show where everything's clicking, they're looking around to invite people backstage. <laughs> yes. They want to share the joy, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But I, I'm not sure that it's changed with the bands themselves. Mm. I get that sense from the guys in the music world, guys and gals that I know, particularly on the jazz side. I, I want to name drop with you, if that's okay. Peter Simon. Peter's a good friend and a, a, a terrible loss for us all. Yeah. Um, he has one of the great images of um, Robert Plant. My wife Darlene's a Robert Plant fan, and I, Peter and I talked about swapping photos for hmm. uh, 
between us. Um, but that's just one of the most iconic. It's where he's on the uh, balcony in L.A. of the um, that's, yeah. Sunset Marquee, I guess, hotel. Yeah, yeah. And he's looking out. It was the Golden God photo. It's a great shot. Peter is a sweet man, a, a good friend of mine. He used to listen to my show late nights while he was working, and I visited him uh, on the vineyard a couple of times. And uh, mm-hmm. the other name uh, I'll just toss your way. I'm not sure if you guys have met in the in the field. Bill Brett over at the Globe. Uh, Oh, sure. I know. I know, Bill. We would just cross paths here and there. Uh, <laughs> I was shooting a... He didn't do music so much, but some, some kind of an event. Yes, um, yes. So, uh, great guy. Great guy. Lovely book. His books are super. Well, we are going to advise people to check out rockrollphoto.com. It is... Uh, you can just get lost. It's so much fun, and and your work is you. is magnificent, and I'm so thrilled that we were able to share your stories, just a few of them. Are you still uh, shooting? And if so, I mean, what do you like to shoot now? What's your passion? I don't shoot as much. Like somebody asked me on the last Stones tour, well, it got postponed. But did you go see the Stones? It's like, nah, they're 70. <laughs> I shot them when they were 20. <laughs> That's true. They are 70 plus. We were all younger. Exactly. So, well... Um, so I, I don't I don't go out, but I do do some things. I work with the with the uh, Wang Center, with Joe, with the uh, Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame, yes, which is based in the Wang Center. Right. So I shoot most of those uh, those gigs and uh, some of the Ghostlight series. Um, I still love to shoot. It's just um, there's not as much that interests me. But I come to my studio every day and I'm working on I'm, I'm with Getty Images. Mm-hmm. So they're forever asking, you know, requesting things, and mm. so I go through the old files uh, for the um, Wang Center for the Marquee. Um, and talking to Joe, it's like, well, geez, do you want Harry Belafonte? Or you know, <laughs> I look through my old files. Like, yeah, a lot of people might respond to him, but it's a great, it's a, uh, a real variety of, of files that I have, but they've never been scanned. So it's given me an opportunity to go and discover things that I'd forgotten or overlooked. I think that's awesome. I think it's it's what a lot of people in the arts end up doing uh, because you realize what kind of a road you've traveled and so many people have been touched by the work. Just keep at it, man, and the website is there. And coffee table book in your future, do you think? I've got a couple proofs here. So I'm working on a few different things. I've got a couple that are just, uh, you know, 100 images, a variety. But I'm starting to work on something where I might do a book about a tour. Because mm. I'd be on the road photographing for three weeks, or say Aerosmith in Europe, where it's 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 all these in-depth behind-the-scenes pictures. Um, so that's another option I'm I'm working on. So there'll be something. All right, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that and uh, and our ears open as well. Ron, a real treat to meet you, sir, and uh, congratulations on the work and the legacy which you're uh, you're still creating. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you so much for the interview. It was terrific, and uh, hope everybody goes and checks out the uh, the Wang Theater Marquee. I do love getting to know photographers, especially the great ones. They capture moments, freeze them in time for us, and nobody does it better than Ron Pownell. Visit rockrollphoto.com. As I said at the beginning of today's podcast, please check out my new book. It's called On Air. My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio, with all proceeds to benefit Children's Hospital in Boston. It's a radio memoir and my personal story, because, hey, we all have one, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry at Chart Productions, and to you for listening and supporting this podcast. 
Until we meet again, remember to be well so you can do good. This is Jordan. Take care.